So hey there, welcome back to Accelerated Investor. Hey, I'm your host, Josh Cantwell. And today we're about to start part two of our conversation with Darren Bloomquist. Darren is executive vice president at auction.com. He's essentially their in-house sort of economist. He works on all of their statistics, data analysis of where the markets are going, and then publishes that out to all their clients. Obviously, their clients are buyers of real estate on their platform, but also their clients are the institutions that list and sell inventory on their platform. And so uh, Darren's been tasked with a very big job of trying to help clients on both sides of the table understand where the market's going. If you caught episode number one of this series or part one of this series, we talked primarily about the prices and where prices were going, the likelihood of recession, and kind of how we're seeing home price appreciation decelerate, okay? And with the cost of debt rising. And so I want to welcome Darren Bloomquist back to the show. And today we're going to talk more, not only about prices a little bit, but we're going to talk more about the kind of uh, backlog of distress and what you as a real estate investor can expect for future distress and maybe opportunities to buy on the auction.com platform, as well as other places, buy your next deal, buy your next property, and when some of this distress will start to show its face. So Darren, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here. Great to be here, Josh. Thanks for having me back. For sure. Well, listen, we left off the last show kind of talking about uh, certain areas, uh, primarily along the coastlines, California, some parts of New York that were already starting to show some decreasing home values. So Darren, why don't you just kind of pick it up where we left off and talk a little bit about, well, what are some areas where we think there's going to be some decreasing home prices because of the cost of debt? And then we'll pivot into distress and where we think some of that distress is going to come from. Great. Yeah. So yeah, we're in it. To recap really quickly, last time, basically, we're we're going into a year in 2023 where it, it's looking increasingly likely and more and more folks are com- jumping on the bandwagon of there being a recession and also a downturn in home prices, and, and not just in some markets, but nationwide. And even Zillow, which does tend to be pretty conservative, pretty bullish on the housing market, is predicting home prices, home values will fall in the next 12 months between September 2022 and 23 in about 30% of metros. And there's a lot of folks out there who believe it's going to be more than that. And uh, But at least, you know, we have... We have more certainty that this is this is likely to happen in 2023. Uh, home prices are going to go down. It makes a lot of sense. If they didn't, it wouldn't. The market would not really be behaving rationally given the rising mortgage rates, as you alluded to, Josh. And that's putting the Fed in some ways. And in fact, Jerome Powell has come out and said words like he's expecting the house, housing market to correct, and that's okay with him because you know the fed raising rates is really about something more long term and bigger which is inflation so all this is just helping us help and helps investors frame out what the next year is going to look like most likely we can't guarantee anything but yes home prices going down and you know Josh we were talking before and I'd love to get your thoughts for your audience too on how this is impacting how you're viewing investment opportunities And do you think that's going to eventually there's going to be enough downward pressure on home prices that some of those opportunities that aren't penciling out right now will pencil out Mm -hmm. maybe in 2023? 
Yeah, I think, look, if you're buying for cash flow, right, there's two types of buyers that buy real estate, let's say on the residential side. I think you're buying for cash flow if you're an investor or you're buying for a flip opportunity. The trouble with flip opportunities right now is prices are still elevated. Sellers are not realistic. And so if you're buying for a flip, the challenge is, is how is the end buyer that you're flipping the home to that's going to eventually move into the home that you fixed up? They're going to want a lower value because they simply can't afford a higher price with a higher mortgage with higher cost of debt. So that becomes a little bit more risky to be buying properties, to fix them up, to sell them, assuming that there's going to be a buyer pool because we, we, we believe, I believe, that that buyer pool is going to get smaller because the cost of prices is more expensive. If you're buying for cash flow, the trouble is now is you're, when you go into that deal, your rent is only X amount, but your, your debt is twice as expensive as it was 18 months ago when the rates used to be three and a quarter. Now those rates are six and a half. Your debt is double. So are you willing to go into a deal where the deal is bleeding cash in order to course correct, get the property back into the black, and then hope for upside value long term? The only way that you buy now for cash flow when the deal is actually losing money is if you're a long-term investor, right? Darren, if you're willing to, to hold that property, whether it's an apartment building or whether it's a single family home, you're willing to hold that in your portfolio for the next five to seven years or longer because to buy it and resell it in the next couple of years can be very, very difficult. I do believe that prices are going to come down for both residential and commercial multifamily. And so refinancing is going to be tough because rates are higher. And it's also going to be tough to sell because buyers are going to want a discount. So stuff that you maybe have bought over the last one to four years, hold on to that for the next two to three, wait till the backside of this happens, rates go down, and then possibly refire or sell. That's what we're kind of preparing for. Darren, one of the things that's going to add possibly some inventory, which may further reduce prices down, there's more supply right, to catch up with demand, pricing may come down, is distress, is a backlog of distress. So let's convert the conversation and pivot over there to talk about that. So I know there's pent up foreclosures from the pandemic. Obviously, we had a foreclosure moratorium for a long time. That stopped. And now we're starting to get caught up. So bring us up to speed on where we are today on that backlog of distress. Yeah. So this is more of a short-term view of distress. And I think you know the recession and home price correction that we're talking about, that will have implications more in the long term, going into even 24 and 25. But for 2023, what we're really dealing with when it comes to the world of distress is the backlog from the pandemic and the foreclosure protection that was put in place during the pandemic was very successful in preventing a huge wave of foreclosures. However, there is a growing backlog, and, and this is data from Black Knight, 488,000, what I call unprotected delinquent mortgages. And that number has basically doubled in the last year since some of those foreclosure protections like the foreclosure moratorium and the CFPB rule that was put in place temporarily to protect uh, folks against foreclosure, those have have expired. And so now we're seeing this number grow up to 488,000. And the, so what it, what I mean by unprotected delinquency is, is prop or loans that have gone through the forbearance program, have come out of forbearance and either have just not qualified for lot, any loss mitigation, like a loan modification, or they haven't even applied for that. So there's really nothing at this point stopping the foreclosure from happening. 
And most of these folks are pretty seriously delinquent. So this is kind of the pool that we have to to draw from in terms of what we would expect to, to show up at foreclosure auction in 2023. It's 488,000. The question is, how many of those will end up? When we asked our clients a couple months ago, how many of, and the clients meaning the mortgage servicers, the banks who are foreclosing, their consensus was 23% <laughs> of this 488,000. So a very specific number. I think it might end up being lower than that, but you're ending up with, you know, our best estimate out of this backlog in 2023 is going to be somewhere around 150, you know, between 115,000 and maybe 150,000 properties that end up at foreclosure auction. And to put that in context, back in 2019, before the pandemic, we had 206,000. So it'd be even lower than pre-pandemic levels. So it's not by any means a big wave, but it would be an increase from 21 when we're we're on track for about 85,000 foreclosure auctions. So that would go to 115,000, 250,000. It could go up. Year, yeah. 2019 would be considered a normal year, but prices were starting to go way high already. And a lot of people, when prices are going up and houses are appreciating in value and you're in foreclosure, or there's some kind of distress, whether it's a death, delinquency, whether it's disability, divorce, bankruptcy, something like that, you have the benefit of a rising price, which you could just throw your house on the market and ultimately exit. Then, of course, the pandemic happens. There's no supply. So if you were in any kind of foreclosure situation and you wanted to sell, you could sell. And you probably got multiple offers on your house on day one. The problem with 2023, we're presuming will be that there'll be this increase of foreclosures and also possibly decrease in price, which would make it so that more people can't just get bailed out because of rising prices, right? So that becomes, okay, we have the normal sort of log of foreclosure activity. Then you have the backlog from the pandemic. And then you're also going to have possibly decreasing prices. So that should create even more supply, more inventory of foreclosures by the end of 2023. At least that's, in my opinion, how I see it kind of stacking up. Yep, I totally agree. That's a great point about the convergence of these trends being that the people who have forestalled selling their homes, you know, because a lot of people had equity who were in trouble. And if they've put that off, unfortunately, in 2023, they may be in trouble because they can't get that price that they could have gotten back in at the peak of the market in 21 or 22 even. So mortgage rates have gone up. So there's not as many tools in the toolkit for the servicers to, to go and modify the loan because they can't, it's pretty hard to bring that, that uh, interest rate down from what the, what the mortgage, the borrower has already. So I do think the 23% that I talked about could be higher given those that situation. And and so that does mean more opportunity for distress buying, I think, in 2023. Nothing on the scale of of 2008, 2009 at this point that is that is shaping up. Yeah, that's good to see. We don't want to see another 2008, nine. A little bit of a correction would be great for everybody, I think, considering the how fast prices inflated. It appears like, you know, that there's a lot of people working their way through the system where they had some COVID relief. They maybe got a forbearance agreement or a loan modification. And I'm actually surprised to see that the redefault rate's only 12%. I would have thought it'd be higher, but mm-hmm. it's like that ability for people to restructure their loans worked 
for the vast majority of people who did that. Yeah, I would suspect that this number will go up closer to that 23%. But as of right now, at least according to the Philadelphia Fed, that's 12%. And that's good news for the market. I think many people are, what we're seeing when we, this is showing basically the big takeaway here is some people, if what we're seeing is a lot of canceled foreclosure auctions. So people, properties are scheduled for closure auction, they get canceled. What's happening to those, about 20 to 25% of those folks are selling on the retail market because they probably because they have equity. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing a change in is those gray bars is there's a much higher percentage of people who are recycling back into foreclosure who have after the foreclosure auction is canceled. And so that's an indication to us, we might see that 12% go up a little bit higher than it is right now. Gotcha. But and- yeah, right now we're not seeing this massive wave. This is kind of putting those numbers you know, into by quarter of foreclosure auctions into perspective. And you see back in 2018, 2019, basically twice as many as what we're seeing right now. So that supply has not really turned back on completely. And even if prices were to come down in 2023 and there's a little bit of a correction, let's say by five or 10% in a a normal real estate correction, 10% residential correction would be huge, right? It It would be all over the news. But Prices were up 30, 33% in 2021, and they were up again early part of 2022. They were up in 2020. So prices have just gone up significantly. So if you're talking about a 5 or 10% correction in prices versus what could have been a 30 to 50% increase over those three years, it's relatively small. And you would think if people hadn't you know, refinanced and pulled all their equity out, that they still have a tremendous amount of, of equity. So the fact that the amount of distress and the amount of properties going to foreclosure auctions, about half of where it was pre-pandemic, and the fact that there is, in theory, so much built-up equity over the last three years or two and a half years, that some correction in prices really shouldn't, just the correction of price, shouldn't cause all that much distress, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And and the next, so we're not seeing that yet. Now, what we are seeing in, in slide 11 there, if you go on, what we're starting to see increase is the foreclosure starts. So this idea that, that some of these delayed foreclosures are starting the process. Now, it takes a good year, I think, in most cases for, and it depends on the state, for a foreclosure start to translate into an actual foreclosure auction. So this is a little bit more of a long-term perspective, but it is important to note that these numbers are coming up. So, you know, if you look at the blue line there, that's the actual number of foreclosure starts. And this is data from Adam Data Solutions. It's still, if you compare it to the blue line prior to the pandemic, it's still not quite there, but it's at about 80 to 90% of that level. So it's coming up and we're seeing those gray bars are, you know, 150 to 250% year-over-year increases from the artificially what you might call artificially low levels of, of 2020 and 21. Mm-hmm. So there's evidence that there's there's more coming, but that hasn't translated into foreclosure auctions as, as of yet. And yeah, slide 12 actually does, that kind of reiterates it from, this is specifically auction.com data. Foreclosure auctions are about uh, 48%, about almost 50% of pre-pandemic levels. The one thing that we're noticing, if you're someone who focuses on REOs, 
that volume has really not come back because for twofold, you know, one is the foreclosure volume is down, but two is we're seeing a lot higher percentage sales rate at the foreclosure auction. So almost 60% of the properties that come to foreclosure auction are selling, Mm. whereas prior to the pandemic, it was more like 40%. Mm -hmm. So fewer of those are actually making it through to REO, real estate owned, and investors are scooping them up at the auction instead. That that sales rate, actually, this data is a little bit, a quarter behind here still, but that sales rate is coming down again because investors are getting more cautious about the market and pricing. So anyway, just a couple of dynamics there that in terms of the volume, and this is where, as many of your audience may know, foreclo- the foreclosure process is vastly different from state to state. So this is just a view on where we're seeing the volume come back the fastest, it does tend to be in the Midwest and in parts of the Rust Belt where we're seeing that volume come back the fastest. And so if you're someone who's flexible on where you're buying, and we do have now remote bid in many of these states where you can bid remotely at foreclosure auction, there may be more opportunity in some of these states early on. And then other states later on, places like New York, you may see the where the foreclosure process takes a very long time, you may see some some more opportunities down the road in, in a couple of years. It just doesn't seem like as we talk through some of these different levers that, that happened in 2007, 8, 9, where you had adjustable rate mortgages adjusting up, you don't have that. You had the banks that weren't liquid, you don't have that. Banks are very liquid. They've been stress tested and they're, they're very kind of ready for a recession. You look at the foreclosure process getting caught up, but as you alluded to Darren a few times, that foreclosure process, even if you start the foreclosure, it's roughly 12 months until it gets through the foreclosure snake, ends up at auction. And then often, because I've foreclosed on a number of properties as a private lender and when I ran my fund, it could be then even after the foreclosure auction, if the bank or the institution is the high bidder, could easily be another two to three months until you have full clean title meaning the taxes are paid, the deed is awarded, everything's cleared off, and now you have full clean title to the property. And now you can actually list it as an REO. So because the foreclosures, that foreclosure moratorium went all the way into 2021, it's not like the banks just snapped their fingers and all of a sudden foreclosed on everything. They had to restart that whole process. So that could easily, in my opinion, take well into 2023 until they're caught up, those things, those those properties are moving their way through the snake. And then if they're not bought at auction, then they're being sold as REO. A lot of that stuff, I have a feeling, will will, will start to really gain some momentum in the second half of 2023 for all that to finally kind of peak and work its way through the what typically is a very slow foreclosure process. So some of that opportunity is not going to happen for maybe a year from now until it really, really hits hits a peak. Yeah, I think that's true. So, you know, just trying to set expectations for what to expect. I think there is more volume coming, but it may not be this this amazing buying opportunity from the perspective of an investor that 2009, 2010 was. Now, I do want to say there's still there's still opportunity there and there's still foreclosure sales happening. We have many buyers who are who are still very aggressively they're aggressively buying, although they're they're being more cautious on their pricing. So there are certainly opportunities out there. But yeah, set the expectations. This is a view of kind of how 2023 could look depending on some of the macroeconomic circumstances. 
Yeah. So the guardrails here are from 112,000 on the low end all the way up to 278,000, you know, which is a huge difference, obviously. But I think we're probably more going to be closer to that 112 to 175,000 in 2023 as the re- the impact of the recession and the home price downturn really won't take effect and, and kick in in terms of distressed volume until later years. Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. And the, the recession hasn't officially kicked in yet. People say, well, third quarter of 2022 would have been a recession, but we exported a tremendous amount of energy to Europe and to other parts of the world because of the war in Ukraine. So we exported a tremendous amount of energy, which actually, instead of having the third quarter of GDP retraction in a row, it was actually slightly positive. But if you remove the energy exports, which were hot, much higher than normal due to the war, it actually looked like the GDP was positive in Q3. So from a very high level, they'll say, well, we had two, two quarters of retraction and then one quarter of gain. That is true if you look at the hardcore numbers. If you remove energy, it would have been our third quarter in a row of sinking GDP. The benefit again here, another thing working in the favor of a soft landing is the fact that we still have so such a low unemployment rate. Many people, incomes are still rising. Many people, we still have more demand for jobs than we have people filling jobs. We have still millions of jobs open versus, again, you go back to 2007, 8, 9, when it was a true recession, lots of people got laid off. Many major institutions were laying people off. That resulted in even more foreclosures. Whereas in this instance, you may have people now getting caught up on pandemic foreclosure distress, but a lot of people have jobs. If they keep income coming in from their job, the chances of there being a major foreclosure wave seems pretty muted, seems pretty limited. Yeah, I think there's a lot more in place to to create some floors in the market and not just a, a trapdoor falling away uh, type of situation like we saw back then. So yeah, I think I think that's true. And, and I think overall, that's good news in many ways for investors because you're not going to see this this wild swing of the market that's uh, as much of a wild swing that is unpredictable and hard harder to navigate is the hope i think for many mm-hmm. now yeah this is this is using some of our buyer data which i think our buyers are a better predictor of what the market's going to do than than any economist out there to be honest and so basically what this is looking at is their discount that they build into their bidding and prior to the pandemic, as you can see, it was pretty, that yellow line is, uh, f- for those who can't see, but was around 20 to 25% discount. So mm-hmm. if you're buying it at auction, you're building in that 20% discount below, not below after repair value. I want to make that clear. It's be- bits below as is value. And so it would be more like probably 30 to 40% below after repair value. 
but anyway, during the pandemic, things got a little crazy and buyers were willing to buy at as low as a 9% discount below as is value, which is not a lot of margin, not a lot of cushion, but that frenzy is subsiding. And so so we're now seeing those discounts return to that 20 to 25% level. And that to me that there's two takeaways from that. One is our buyers are anticipating that home price appreciation is going to at the very least slow down. And so they need that bigger discount up front. And then number two, you know, for folks out there who maybe are more or kind of been keeping their powder dry, have backed away from the frenzy that was the pandemic market, this may be an opportunity to come back in or some of those frenzied buyers have backed out of buying at foreclosure auction and there may be less competition <laughs> and more opportunity for uh, for discounts. Well, even if you look at from a kind of a very practical level of how do I actually buy a foreclosure, buy a property in the middle of COVID, it wasn't like you were going to market to a seller with a postcard and then get on the phone with them and then go to their house and physically meet with them, right? When everyone had COVID and everyone was wearing masks and we thought the world was going to end. So you removed some of the strategy around actually buying distressed real estate during COVID. You remove a lot of face-to-face ability to talk to homeowners, view properties, you maybe market to homeowners. So if you remove some of those buying techniques, what are you left with? Well, an easy way to buy real estate is online. You do it right through auction.com. You make a bid online and you get awarded the deal. So if you're thinking like a lot of my different buying strategies are now off the table because of COVID and I have less strategies to work with, then I, and I still want a deal. I still want to buy a property. I want to buy a, a rehab or a rental or a wholesale property. I'm going to maybe require less of a discount just because I want something. Something's better than nothing. And then as the world unthaws in 20, late 2021, 22, Omicron's gone, Delta's gone, things start to unthaw. Now you can get back to, and we're seeing it all over. We're seeing live events with thousands of attendees. We're seeing people get back to all normal activity, economic activity, including meeting with sellers face-to-face, meeting with brokers face-to-face. So that unlocks now all of your different buying strategies. So you're not as desperate to get a deal because you you can go to multiple avenues. So that's one practical way I could have seen why it played out that way is people were Mm -hmm. online and they're like, hey, this is the great way for me to buy where I can do it from home. I don't have to leave my house. I don't have to risk my health. So real good information there for sure. Curious to know about Foreclosure discounts, right? Usually, you know, when the market's hot, things are really growing. You know, the East Coast, the West Coast, you're not going to see much of a discount because those are very like what I call boom bust markets. When things are booming, people are willing to pay more. So there's not much of a discount. When you look at the Midwest, it's more of a cash flow stable market. It's not a lot of boom bust. And so people want an immediate discount because there's not as much appreciation later. So, how, how is it breaking out now? compared to that theory that I just laid out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's we're kind of re- reverting to the mean is what I would say. And so you did see that if you look at the, the two sides of this slide, which are the West and the Northeast, those are averaging a 19% discount back in 2019 before the pandemic. The Northeast is back to that 19%. The West is actually back to 25%. So what this tells me is the West is where the most risk is. Our buyers are building in a bigger cushion than they were prior to the pandemic. 
And that would indicate they're expecting potentially a home price downturn there. But to your point, uh, if you look at this, the Midwest, the central region of the country and the Southeast, those are a little bit more stable markets where even prior to the pandemic, buyers were expecting a bigger discount of over 20%. And they've reverted back to that. Now they're, they're in the Midwest, it's 24% discount, Southeast 22% discount. And so that's again reverting to the mean, I think. But to your point, yeah, there's a there's a bigger discount in those regions historically expected because you don't have the dynamism of a, a market that could go up 10, 20% typically in those in those parts of the country. That may have changed a little bit. And then we do have a heat map here showing discount. And so this is trying to predict where what markets have the most risk of a home price downturn based on our buyer behavior. And so where the discounts have not just reverted to the mean of prior to the pandemic, but have gone beyond that. And so the red parts, uh, if and not everybody can see this, but uh, the red dots on the map are those markets that are most susceptible to a home price downturn. Top of the list is San Francisco. You have Pensacola, Florida, Pueblo, Colorado, smaller market, San Diego, Minneapolis. That was a little bit of a surprise to me. Riverside in Southern California. Lakeland, Florida, Tucson, Arizona, Davenport, Iowa, and Phoenix. Those are the top 10 in terms of where we see our buyers are predicting the most risk of a downturn. And yeah, so that's, I mean, it's it's a double-edged sword there. There's more risk of a downturn there, but there are probably maybe a better opportunities for deeper discounts in those markets. And if you are willing, especially if you're in the short term, there's there's a lot more risk in maybe flipping a property in those markets, but for a more long-term investor who is planning to hold for a while, those markets may be really good opportunities as we would, we would expect. Most of those are pretty solid markets where you would expect home prices, home values to come back over the next you know five years at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. Like we talked about at the beginning of this show, if you're a long-term investor even with some possible volatility in the next, call it 12 to 24 months, uh, rates are higher, prices come down. Again, it comes down to cash flow, right? Can you buy the property? Can you get it in at the right basis to let the property cash flow, hold the property for two to five to seven to 10 years or longer, knowing that these are some of the stronger economic markets, they're boom-bust markets. And I think this quote-unquote bust, in my opinion, over the next possible 18 to 24 months is not going to be a huge bust. So even if you do lose a little bit of money on your purchase price, let's say I buy a home for three hundred thousand or two hundred fifty thousand, and it drops by five or ten percent, are you going to do better in the long run if you're in Florida or Arizona or California or Colorado? If you're expecting appreciation, then the answer I I would assume my opinion would be yes. That five to seven years from now, those prices are higher. If you're like me, maybe a little bit more conservative. Maybe you're buying in an Iowa or a Minneapolis, St. Paul, waiting for those discounts to happen. And then you're going to cash flow those and you want them to cash flow right out of the gate if possible. But again, I think your buyer data, Darren, supports my general thesis, which is boom bust along the coastlines, Arizona, Florida, Colorado. Those have been boom bust markets now for 15 years since the last bust. And I continue to them for them to behave that way. The economics, the people... The uh, the population, that's how it's behaving. And I continue to expect that, especially this data here, supporting that going forward. So I'm curious to see as things move forward, I, I wonder if over the next 24 months, 
is demand going to continue to be there because we're still short, right? We're still short on supply of affordable housing. My friend, Jack Patrick, Darren, that you're aware of, he's building like 50 homes in Florida right now. And I talked to Jack the other day and Jack's like, hey man, I'm not sure what's going to happen. All of a sudden, the debt for these buyers, if they buy my new builds, it's skyrocketing for them. And Jack and I had a conversation just the other day to say, well, even though their their cost of capital is skyrocketing, there's still a significant amount of undersupply. So, and demand seems to be pretty strong because people have jobs and the unemployment rate's really low and people are still flush with cash from all the pandemic subsidies that went out. So we were balancing this conversation around buyers, are they gonna are they gonna pull back on their prices? Is there still gonna be demand for all of his new construction? So what does demand look like for buyers? What does demand look like for distressed properties going forward? How do we kind of look at how is demand for retail versus distressed? Are people going to look for that? Or are investors just saying, hey, just give me a deal. I don't care if it's distressed. I want it, right? I'll take it. Yeah, I think we're kind of in this weird period where there is still that kind of long-term demand in place. But because buyers are in, both on the distressed side and retail side are anticipating a downturn, they're not as eager to jump in. They're more willing to wait. And so we see that in the distress market on our in our data, they've pulled back their pricing. This is a basically your classic economic demand curve has da- shifted downward from the, the second quarter to the third quarter. And that's an indication at every, basically at every price point, there's fewer properties demanded mm-hmm. from our buyers and every quantity demanded is at a lower price point. So demand is shifting downward. And then meanwhile, that yeah, the next slide shows our our sellers who are our clients have really not shifted uh, with that. And so they're still pricing their properties the same way as they were six months to a year ago. And that's in the short term, that's a problem because it means fewer properties are going to get sold. And I think this is a little bit of a, a mirror to the retail market. And you're going to have this period of adjustment where buyers are anticipating a downturn and so they're they're waiting and honestly they are you know the the mortgage rates means that it's it's a lot more painful for them to to buy and i do think sellers are going to have to adjust to that and that's why we're going to see prices come down it's just basically your classic supply and demand and we're seeing that on when we put the supply and demand curves together on our platform what we see is that equal equilibrium price has come down from you know 72% of as-is value to 67% of as-is value. So the price is coming down and the, sa- the, the volume is coming down. The percentage of sales that are happening are coming down. And so that's exactly what we see happening in the retail market. And the only way to change this is to somehow increase demand again, which I don't think you would see unless you saw interest rates come down or mm-hmm. for sellers to adjust pricing. And I think that's going to be the more likely outcome because the demand is, you're absolutely right. You know, if you look at the demographics and and household formation, demand is there, but I think demand is more, more elastic than, than people give it credit for on the housing side. People can delay the purchases. Many people can figure out a situation to delay their uh, purchases, at least for a little while. And we may see that happening right now. And so the message for our sellers is it's probably in your best interest to lower your prices now in order to 
sell the properties faster uh, rather than taking them back and holding on to those properties in a, in a downward price environment. Yeah. I mean, if um, you're, so yeah, yeah. Whether you're an institution taking back an REO, it's all about the volume and speed of money, right? You turn that money over, the money is tied up in a house, sell the house, get the money, make a new loan. Or in the case of an investor, if you have something that's sitting on the market, maybe like my friend Jack, if you've got a new build sitting on the market, drop your price, sell the real estate, go build something new. Because what I heard you say, Darren, is that you know basically buyers are not stupid. They're not going to just buy at any price. They're starting to take their foot off the gas. They're starting to realize that they can wait. The investor buyers on your platform have bought at about five basis points lower their credit bid to as-is value lower. They're expecting a bigger discount. And even though six months ago, a year ago, everybody on the news was saying, we have a supply problem. We have a supply problem. We have a housing shortage problem. What I'm hearing you say now and what the data is supporting is that, yes, we may have a supply problem, but people are not just willing to buy at any price. They want, they're want they willing to delay and wait to make the right buy at the right price because they want prices to come down and they want the cost of their debt to come down. For a lot of people, as you and I, Darren, both know, it comes down to their mortgage payment. They only have Mm -hmm. so much money to put down. So how much is my mortgage payment? I have X amount of fixed income to work with. Let's say I've got $8,000 a month. So my mortgage payment is whatever, 40% of that number. Let's say 40% of that 8,000 is 2,500 a month. That only buys me a certain amount of house. I'm only willing to spend $2,500 a month. So I'm going to wait for my price to come down and wait for my cost of debt to come down. And otherwise, I'm just willing to wait it out, maybe rent a property, rent an apartment, stay in my current home, whatever it is, until these prices get back to where I can afford them. I don't have to buy the newest, shiniest house. I'll just wait. That's what the data is supporting here. Absolutely. And I I would just add one thing is that I think that waiting is is enabled as well by the fact at a kind of macro level by the fact that all the stimulus during the pandemic pulled forward demand. So people who might have said, we probably won't buy become a homeowner until 2023 or 24. They said, well, rates are so low in 21, 22. And I want to get at it. You know, I want to work from anywhere. They decided to buy earlier than they would have. And so you know, the consequence of that pulled forward demand too is that you have a lot of folks who might have bought this, you know, in 2023 or 24 who've already bought. And so that's that's a piece of this too. Yeah. So for any of my students, subscribers, listeners, if you're a home flipper and maybe you built up some inventory and you were hoping to sell it from what this is telling me and what I've been thinking through is even if you have to take a little bit less profit, drop your price, sell it now. Because I don't think rates are going to be coming down for a while. We know historically the Federal Reserve takes about 27 months from the time they start raising rates to the time they start dropping rates. Well, we still have time to go where rates are still going up. It wouldn't surprise me to see 8% mortgage rates or even 9% mortgage rates in 2023. Because that'd be amazing. Labor problem. We don't have enough labor. So there's still a lot of demand for labor. We still have this, this concept of instead of our, economy going global, our economy seems to be coming more back home. The more it comes back home, the more there's more demand for goods and services at home. And so prices, I think, are still going to keep going up, which means the Fed has to keep raising rates higher and higher. So you either sell it off now, even if you have to sell it at a loss, 
or you're going to have to hold it for about three years, in my opinion, three years to then find the equilibrium because the rates are going to keep going up for me, in my opinion, the next six to 12. Then they're going to flatten out for six to 12. And then they'll finally start dropping at the end of 2024. So if you've got inventory now, sell it now. Okay. Or you might be holding onto it for a while and you hope you can cash flow it in the interim. Right. If you're one of those home flippers, that's my advice to you today. Darren, listen, you've done yeah, an incredible job with both this episode and the previous episode of sharing what's going on. We can't wait to have you back. We'll have you back as soon as possible. As soon as you've got something to share, just text me. We'll have you back on the show. Thank you so much for that. Um, hey, if we, yeah, if we see a huge jump in inventory or something like that, opportunity, yeah. I'll let you know. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Our audience obviously is very aware of you and auction.com. But when they go to auction.com, not only can they bid on properties and buy properties and go there to find inventory of good deals, obviously a lot of this economic data is also shared on that website. So when they go to auction.com, where should they specifically go to find this data? And what will they find on the website as a whole? Sure. Uh, You can go to auction.com forward slash in the news. That's where I post all of my stuff like this. And then kind of the economic side of things. And then uh, just on the website itself, just jump right in. I mean, start searching. There's no, it's not a subscription service or anything like that. And you can see what's available in your area. And I think we're trying to do the best to make these auctions that in the past have been kind of the purview of just the inside club of folks who knew what was going on, but we're trying to democratize that. So it's easy, as easy as possible for even newer investors to to jump in and start actually bidding on some of these properties. It's fantastic stuff, Darren. Listen, thanks for carving out some more time for us on Accelerated Investor. Fantastic show as always. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. You were just listening to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you enjoyed this episode and learned something new, help us build the AI community by leaving a review and five-star rating on our iTunes podcast channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss another episode. To see passive investing opportunities, visit freelandventures.com slash passive. To start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of with multifamily apartments, apply for one-on-one coaching with Josh at www.joshcantwellcoaching.com. 